0: I'm Ellie Marin, and I've been worshiping here at Westlake United Methodist Church for about six years. Uh, I'm involved with the tech team, so normally you can find me way in the back. Um, And I'm also involved uh, with the youth group here, going to weekly youth events um, at the Breakfast Crew, as well as our annual high school mission trip. So our scripture today comes from the second-to-last chapter of the book of John, Um, At this point in the book, uh, Jesus has already been betrayed, Um, he's already been crucified, and he's already died um, on the cross. In fact, this section is right after Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb and finds, after rolling away the stone, that the tomb is empty, Uh, right after the events that inspired our Easter celebration from last week. Uh, This section of of scripture explores the pretty well-known biblical figure Doubting Thomas, uh, the disciple who didn't believe in Jesus' triumph over death until he um, could see and touch Jesus himself. Hear now the word of God according to John's Gospel. When it was evening on that day, on the first day of the week, and the disciples, or, and that doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, I think we, as modern believers, are in a very different position from Doubting Thomas. As Christians, we're asked to believe in a God we cannot see with our eyes or hear with our ears or touch ourselves. So the question I started to ask myself as I began writing this sermon is then how do we see and hear and touch God today? And how does that lead us into the life that John spoke of? For those of you who don't know me very well, um, I didn't start coming to this church until sixth grade, around six years ago for me. My parents forced me to come, (laughs) and I remember being so scared at first. The very first Sunday school I went to, I don't think I said more than two or three words the whole hour. But what really got me hooked to this church was the way that I started to experience God in the friends that I found at youth group. This very special community is what prompted me to start my confirmation process when I was in seventh grade. And before I started in confirmation, God was someone I knew pretty much on Christmas and Easter only. So I entered into confirmation not sure what or even who I believed in. <clears throat> my confirmation process was very much about getting to know God, who for me had always been an amorphous con- concept on a more personal level. I began to think about God in my everyday life, as well as attend church and youth group events every week. I began to pray at night by myself. My eyes were open to the rich beliefs of other faiths as my confirmation group went to Jewish and Greek Orthodox services. Another memory that stands out from my time in confirmation is from one of the classroom exercises led by Diane. Diane told us confirmands to draw what we thought God looked like after presenting us with several conflicting descriptions of God. She asked us if we knew God looked like an old white dude with a billowing white beard and bushy eyebrows like we've seen in artwork and movies, or does God look like Morgan Freeman in the 2006 cinematic masterpiece, Evan Almighty? (laughs) Does God really look like us? For we were made in his image. When Diane presented us with all of these conflicting accounts, including several from the Bible, I honestly came to the point of true confusion. I didn't know what to draw at all. I almost felt like I didn't know God at all. But what stuck in my head from that exercise was a drawing from the person sitting directly to my right, Christina Salas. She's in the back now. (laughs) She drew in pencil the image of an empty yet occupied throne. And that is the image of God that I still carry with me today. What Christina drew, in my view, is that the most faithful understanding of God we can have is a presence we acknowledge we cannot yet fully perceive. I have carried that image of an empty-throned God with me on my faith journey, and it still remains meaningful for me. I'm always searching for the ways that this invisible God fits into my life and my faith now. Hopefully, some of this year's confirmation class have similar moments that they'll carry with them for the rest of their lives. Another place I've particularly felt God's presence is um, at the annual high school mission trip. In the years since I was confirmed, I've gotten to go on several mission trips with the youth group to Asheville, North Carolina. Together at Recree, as we call it, we de-shingle, shingle, shingle, paint, clean up, pray, and worship, and make fellowship with one another, and with the Asheville, North Carolina community that we serve. And I can promise y'all I heard God during Recree's worship services. Worship there is pretty unique. They blast worship music out of speakers that sound like they're about to blow out, and the whole congregation, consisting of about a hundred youth members like me, is screaming the words to the songs, dressed in dirty hospital scrubs and hiking boots, and all of this is taking place at like 7:15 in the morning. <laughs> Something about that experience and the very palpable dedication to Jesus in Rikri's worship ministry will make you see God. I can guarantee you that. But I remember the first time I went on that mission trip. I was terrified, having not gone on any of the middle school mission trips before. But God conquered my fear. Over the years, going to Recre has become one of my most cherished traditions. It is inspiring to see the impact Recre has made in the lives of so many people in Asheville. And for me, it is a testament to the power of Jesus and what we can accomplish if we, as a community, come together to solve a common problem and improve other people's lives. I was so sad last year to learn that it would be Rikri's final year in operation. It's been a place for me to continue to restore and deepen my faith each year, and I hope that people in this congregation have similar outlets, such as the Emmaus retreat next week, our upcoming church-wide retreat at Mo Ranch, or the new high school mission trip to Chicago. As people of this generation and this moment, we all have our doubts. It's easy to believe that our faith may never grow as strong as that of the disciples, But here we can see in the scripture that even the disciples had lapses in their faiths, just as we do. In the 29th verse from the passage I just read, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe, Jesus is speaking directly to us, the inheritors of the original faith. We won't be able to touch the nails in Jesus' palms, or see someone walk on water, or feed thousands with only a few loaves of bread, or immediately give sight to the blind. Because we are the blind. We are the blind believers. So what would happen if more people could see and hear Jesus working in their lives? Would it bring us as a community of faith closer together? I think this consideration is particularly important in today's world. To me, it feels like we've never been more divided. I mean, can we agree on anything? A recent Pew Research study found that partisanship in Congress is the highest it's been in decades. And the news never stops, always hyping up the next big fight in Congress over the budget or universal health care. As Americans, we pledge to be one nation, indivisible, but today that doesn't always seem true. And it's not only Congress that's become marred by political acrimony. Political parties are shifting away from each other, becoming more liberal and more conservative. Another Pew research report found that more Democrats and Republicans are more likely to hold an entirely negative view of people in the other party. This divisibility among us, rather than indivisibility, puts every single one of God's children at risk. And there are so many pressing issues that need to be solved today. There's the issue of mass incarceration in the United States, which has the highest prison rate in the world. There's LGBTQ plus inclusion and affirmation in the United Methodist Church. There's abortion rights, or the death penalty, or gun control, or immigration, or the intersectional wage gap. There's climate change, which will ultimately affect all of us. Did you know that this past April was one of Austin's warmest? In fact, Austin broke its own record high and temperatures reached 93 here. Worldwide, temperatures have increased by almost two degrees Celsius in the past 150 years due to increased CO2 and other greenhouse gas emissions. And the rate at which Antarctica is losing ice has tripled in the past decade alone, which adds to our existing problems of rising oceans and more severe hurricanes and typhoons. It's also important to note that this divisiveness among us, this increased partisanship, is already causing people harm. But this harm is not equally distributed. A 2018 government report, the fourth national climate assessment, found that low-income communities will bear the brunt of climate change as they are often more exposed to natural disasters and lack the resources to adequately recover after severe storms. Our existing inequalities among race, gender, income level, and immigration status will be exacerbated the same people that recreation, our mission trip organization, tries to help will be hurt the most. Those who, those who we are supposed to minister to. This knowledge really hits home for me. I have been fortunate enough to travel to many of America's national parks. I've been to Big Bend, Guadalupe Mountains in West Texas, Zion and Arches in Utah, and the Grand Canyon. I think the outdoors is one place where I can really connect to God and seeing the sheer beauty of all that was created. I mean, this past spring break, my family and I packed into the car and drove all the way to Arizona to see the Grand Canyon. And when we got there, to the South Rim, it was snowing so hard, you couldn't see any more than 50 feet out into the canyon. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We waited for a little bit, and no more than 10 minutes later, the snow clouds parted, and we could see the whole canyon. Hopefully, some of you guys have been there, yeah? And you know what I'm talking about. A canyon 18 miles wide, a mile deep, and hundreds of miles long. I couldn't even see the Colorado River in parts of it, which had carved the canyon over millions of years. And as the clouds parted, so we could see the whole canyon, a rainbow came out from the clouds. I took that picture. And there it was, shining over one of the most beautiful places in the world. That was God I saw in all of that beauty. Issues like Climate change threaten the natural places that God made for us and threaten the most vulnerable among us. And even though scientists know the actions we must take to combat cl- climate change, there is still doubt about whether we will collectively. Since I'm going off to college this fall, I also have questions about the community I will find there. I don't know how my faith will work there. How will I see and hear and touch God? I have to trust that God will lead me through this period of blindness. And I pray the same thing for today's confirmation class and for this whole congregation. We all have our doubts or moments where we lack insight or understanding into the questions that this invisible God will answer for us. And I think America as a whole does too. Imagine what would happen if more people were able to see Jesus in the trees, so to speak. How might that bring us together to protect the world that God made for us? Consensus rather than cacophonous disagreement on an issue that affects every single one of God's children. What would happen if we believed in this empty throned God, a God that permeates all things and all people and all issues, an invisible God, indivisible from us? Let us put all our faith into the God that we cannot see. Thanks be to God. Amen.